We've been talking about fear, and uh, I guess I'm titling it Fear Yeah. Like, we need fear, right? We do, because we talked about this. You know, if you weren't here last time I talked on this, you might, because this is number two, you might go, well, wait just a minute. I don't want fear. Well, there are more than one type of fear in the Bible. And so there is a fear that we do not want, that we resist, that we don't allow into our thinking. We, we don't want it at all. But there is a fear that God wants every person to have. It's mentioned in the Old Testament. It's mentioned in the New Testament. It's mentioned all over the place. And so turn with me to Exodus, the 20th chapter, and we're going to look at this fear and where there are two references of fear, the bad kind and the good kind. And that will kind of show you that there is a difference uh, between the fear I'm talking about and the bad kind of fear that people don't like right? Even though it's odd to me, people go to scary movies to learn how to yield to that other fear. And then we think it's funny to scare people. And I have to admit, I have a problem in that area, you know, so people are like, whoa, you know, but that being said, there is a good kind of fear that actually in this fear, and I'm not going to really talk about this today, it actually opens your heart, or maybe I will, opens up your heart to the things of God. When people lose this fear or don't have this fear or are not putting it into practice, I don't even know the right wording because there's a lot to it, I guess you could say. Uh, how this fear is developed, grown, yielded to, because it seems like you can change like that and have this fear that I'm talking about by a profound experience with the Lord, or you can develop it by obedience and experience, you know, different types of experiences with them. You can develop it through obedience. You can diminish it by disobedience, a, you know, a constant practice. And so, to me, this subject is just pretty profound. And so here in Exodus 20, uh, we're going to see this. But when people have this fear in their life, they open themselves up to God. They start becoming conscious more of God. They start looking at their own life and how they do things. And so in Exodus 20, verse 18, God is revealing himself to the children of Israel now, he's already brought them out of Egypt. They've seen his power on display. But God really wants them to know him, to realize just how big he is, because they watch these demonstrations of things. But God is wanting to work something in them. And so he tells Moses, listen, you get all the people, you gather them together. I'm going to go up on this mountain and we're going to, you and I are going to meet, and then I'm going to meet with these, the elders, there's 70 and some others, and they're going to be able to draw near, and uh, his glory, or God's glory, is going to be appearing, and it's going to be profound, and it's going to be scary. I mean, like, whoa, scary, powerful. But he didn't want them to have the wrong kind of fear about it. And so 
they're about to go up. And if you look in verse 18, or Moses's, or go to this mountain, it says, now all the people, 2018, now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightnings, the uh, uh, lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking. Now, this was not a volcano. Because Moses would go up and stand there and talk to God. He'd come down, his face would be glowing, and the people would be afraid of it. It says, and when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. Now, what's interesting is they had watched all kinds of other miracles, but this made them afraid. It's because the other miracles were just like demonstrations, you know, like the water would, would turn from regular to blood everywhere, it, every cup, everything. But the difference, one of the differences about this is his presence was radiating out too. They were recognizing something far beyond and they're starting to get afraid, the wrong kind. The wrong kind of fear literally means to run. And it says, and they stood, verse 19, then they said to Moses, because they're, they're trembling, they're shaking and stood afar off. You speak with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. You just go tell us what he's saying. What's happening is they're getting a grip on really how big God is. The world has lost this grip. It's the truth. Because people would never do what they do if they really believed in God and saw him. They just wouldn't. I would even be different the more I have this. Everybody would. Nobody has arrived, but we're going to look at some times when people had encounters with God and it put this in them or it didn't put it in them. That's why I said I don't know if it puts it in as much as they changed their attitude and went okay. But notice this. They said, you speak unless we die. Verse 20, and Moses said to the people, do not fear. In other words, don't have that paranoia flight kind of fear. He said, for God has come to test you that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. Notice that. He said, don't be afraid, but God has come so you would have fear. Well, that doesn't make sense. Only if you don't know what that other kind of fear is, meaning we should not, and nobody has feared electricity this morning, I don't think. You know, you used your blow dryer, your toaster, your coffee pot, you know, turned on lights and did different things, and you didn't go, oh, I'm afraid. But when I was a little kid, uh, I had experiences with a lot of things. As a matter of fact, my parents are not here this morning, but I had been in the hospital so many times that they thought my parents were trying to kill me. <laughs> Serious. And uh, they said, no, you don't understand. He just does this stuff. And, uh, and, and, and they said, and at that time I was in there, and they said, no kid eats a whole bottle of adult aspirin. My mom said he did. And they said, no, that's not true. They just don't. 
So they said, we're going to have to have them drink this stuff to throw it up. They tried to get me to drink it. I wouldn't drink it. She said, I told you, you cannot make him do anything. And, and they said, well, you're right. So they got grown men and pinned me down, and they could not get me to drink that. What is it, syrup of Epicac or something like that? I wouldn't drink it. So they had to talk me into it. So my mom said, and dad said, now listen, if you don't drink this, they're going to stick a tube down in your stomach, and it's just going to suck everything out. I just drank it. <laughs> but they couldn't get me to drink it. And I had been, I just did stuff. And, you know, I remember one time my mom saying, be careful, you know, with that cord. You know, because the power is in there. And I remember it was hanging out of the wall, and I'm like, she can't tell me what to do. And I thought, I wonder if power is going. I remember reaching my finger in, and I thought the light was on, and it would flicker. Well, it wasn't. And I hit that thing, and it was far enough in, and I went backwards. Boom. I'll tell you what, I was afraid of electricity after that. And, you know, we'd watch videos at school, you know, don't unplug the cord from far back or you wrecked the cord and then you could electrocute yourself. I was like, forget you. I'm not even grabbing that thing close. I became very respectful of it. Totally respectful of it. And from that day forward, I mean, you know, you don't have, you just have a reverence for it. And, and, uh, if you go to a power plant and you're walking around a lot of power and you don't have a respect for it, you don't have to fear it, but you just have to be reverential. You know, you can't run around in there flying a kite, you know, or playing with a baton because you hit something, you're dead. But that is there to bless us, to help us. And that's just a small picture of power compared to how God is. And he was wanting this fear in them because he was like, listen, and, and if you understand the Bible, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt is a picture of Christians coming out of sin and knowing the Lord and starting to walk with him. So the very first thing he shows them is, listen, I'm huge. I'm for you. I want you to see how powerful I am. Not because I want you to be afraid, but I want you to know I'm on your side, I'm for you, I'm with you, and here we go. And so he wanted them to reverence. How many people that are Christians, nobody here, but that church down the hall? No, I'm kidding. How many people are afraid of the devil and reverence him? They do. Christians do. Oh, don't say that. What's the devil? You know, oh, it's the devil. But, but you got to realize the reason people think like that is the world is constantly fed. You know, don't believe in God, but there's a devil and there's demons and they're powerful. And they don't realize that God stripped them of their power, gave that authority to us as believers, and we should reverence who is for us and who lives in us, or else we're going to go, oh, and we're going to have the wrong kind of fear. But when we reverence God, we're really just being in awe and getting the right perspective of who he really is. And he's just not out there. He's in the believer. 
And so here, God's trying to get this perspective in the children of Israel. And so he said, listen, don't fear, for God has come down to test you or to prove you or to try your heart that his fear may be before you. And then notice this phrase, so that you may not sin. You could say it like this. They came out of a world that was full of idol worship, live any old way you want. And uh, God, now they're coming up to live a new way. And God wants them to really know him the way he is. How powerful he is, not that he's against them. But if we could really get a better perspective and build this into us or exercise it, our lives would change. They would totally change. We would not struggle with certain things that we struggle with. Thank you. Notice this, verse 21. So the people, now God told them, I want to show you this, and they're starting to see, and they're panicking, and now he's saying, listen, I'm, I'm not against you. I just want you to know how big I am. And here's my thing. This is minor. This isn't how big God is. Nobody can see God's full display in this earth with this natural body and live. So he just kind of lifted up the curtain a little bit. Why? So they could know, here we go. We're going to face things. We're going to live this life. But this God, who I now know, because they're all going to see him personally, experience him personally, he's for us. This that we've seen on display should get rid of a lot of things. And verse 21 said, So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. Now you can go back, you know, chapters before and chapters later, and you see that God dwelled in this thick darkness, and it's called a dark cloud, and it's also called the glory of God. Really what it was was just a demonstration of God's power. Because the Bible said Jesus was raised by the Spirit, but he was also raised by the, the glory of God. This was such a display of power that they were trembling out of reverence. At first they got the wrong perspective. But he said, I'm doing this really so that you may not sin or not miss the mark in life. You can hit the mark because sin is not like, well, that's just something really gross. It means to miss God's mark. So I could miss his mark in going up and possessing the promises he has for me. And the children of Israel did do that. They went, man, they are giants there. We can't do this. They forgot just how big God was, how he was for them, and what he was willing to do. And he was giving them flashes, so to speak, of just how powerful he was, so that when it came to missing the mark, they really didn't have to. They just didn't have to. 
Thank God he's merciful if we do. Even in their missing it, they got manna, they got quail, they got divine healing, you know, with the brazen serpent. And that was all after they didn't expect God's best, but good still came. And it was just because God's for them. But turn to Romans, the 13th chapter, or the third chapter, and we'll look at this fear. And there is, like I said, there are so many verses about this fear. And we looked at a couple last time. Even in being filled with the Spirit, we talked about this at prayer the other day and reading over it, it says, submit after you're filled. It said, submit one another in the fear of God. That's not in a paranoid way. That's out of my regard for God, I'm going to treat people a certain way. You with me? So here in Romans, the third chapter, he's giving a view of lost people here and really why they do things. And in Romans 3, verse 18, it says, uh, there is no fear of God before their eyes. What does that mean? There's no fear of God before their eyes. That you could say it like this. They're not constantly conscious of just who God is, how powerful he is, and that we're all really going to stand before him and there is life after death. And he said, there is no fear of God before their eyes. They don't put him in the right place in their life. Well, if you read backwards, it starts telling signs of no fear. Notice verse 13. Their throat is an open tomb. What's in a tomb? Dead stuff. With their tongue... So their mouth is open, and there's dead stuff coming out. With their tongue, they practice deceit. They lied. They don't tell, they're not honest. Well, if people realize someday everybody will stand before God and everything we've ever done, he's going to know. There's going to be some stuff we're going to go, whoops, I wish I wouldn't have said that. And it's not going to be a whoopsie, you know. Oh, it's going to be, oh. You wonder why he wipes the tears away from our eyes? And we're the ones who get to go in. And like I said, these truths are not to make us paranoid of God, but just realize how big he is and how holy he is. And so here they said they're the poison of asps. What's an asp? Well, we know what rattlesnakes are here. He said the poison of asps, which is a poisonous snake, is under their lips. In other words, they talk poison. They talk not right. It, it's just, this is wrong. It said, and why is this that these people talk wrong? Notice this, whose mouth is full of cursing. Cursing bad? Could be. And bitterness. If you just knew how big God was and how merciful he was to you, I mean, 
I mean, just how gracious. You couldn't forgive yourself. You couldn't do good enough to pay. He just has mercy on you. We would be less bitter with people for their failures and their messed up lives. And, we, and sometimes I think you can get so far away from salvation that you think, yeah, well, I'm just this way. You may have forgotten that you were not always that way. Somebody said, yeah, I was since I was five. Like I said, you weren't always that way, and you aren't as perfect as you think you are. But you are saved if you know the Lord and you have new life. But we need to realize this. If we recognize just how merciful God is and what he's bought and paid for, and just how holy he is, probably this bitterness is not going to be in our mouths. Now, he's talking about lost people and why they do this. Their feet are swift to shed blood. They're just quick to go do wrong. And to be brutal and cruel. Destruction and misery are in their ways. Wow, they have a miserable life. And the way of peace, they have not known or they don't know how to get it. But we know it's in God. They don't know how to get it. They don't have it. They wonder why. But then he said, there is no fear of God before their eyes. You wonder why. Sometimes people struggle with some things, even Christians, because maybe the fear of God is not what it should be. Notice this in Proverbs 16. Is everybody okay? Yeah. Proverbs 16, real interesting. There's lots of verses about the fear of the Lord and different ones in the book of Proverbs, how it opens your heart towards wisdom, and how it helps you in different ways. But here, in, in Proverbs 16, it says this concerning the fear of God. We're going to read the whole verse, but it's really the last part of the verse that we want to look at. Look at. Proverbs 16, verse 6, it says, In mercy and truth, atonement or a payment is provided for iniquity or sin. Now notice this next part. And by the fear reverence, high regard, respect of the Lord. Because when you talk about the fear of God, the right kind, it's an awe. Like, whoa. And I know in life there aren't a lot of things that we go whoa about. And But with God, the unveiling of himself is really an awe-inspiring thing. It should inspire, and that's probably the best way to say it, it should, it should inspire awe. It did in the church when the power got on so display early on. There were people who were lying in church, and two of them fell dead. It talks about how the rest continued on in the fear of the Lord. They were like, whoa, he's powerful. Nobody got up and left those services. Three hours between one event and the other. I dare you to leave that day. 
But you think about it. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I got to go to the bathroom, but I think I can hold it. You know, you wouldn't have held it in the movies. It was so bad. But at that day, you could. Right? But notice, and by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. In other words, if this awesomeness, the reality of it is there, you'll depart from wrong things. What's interesting is we know some parallel verses where it says anybody who has the hope of the Lord's return will purify himself. Well, what does that mean? Hope just means you expect him to come back. But the big thing is, is this coupled with that is you expect God who really is God, not just some, uh, some picture version, some unreal version, some, well, I'll deal with that later version you know he's coming, man, got to do something. You with me? Got to do something. And here in that last part, he said he departs from evil. Notice the other one who doesn't fear the Lord just goes on living like they did before. There was no fear. And it's interesting when you talk about this, God, I believe, tries to inspire it in people. You with me? It shouldn't just be laws and rules that govern your walk with God. But in a real relationship with somebody, aren't there characteristics you like about them? You're like, man, it's just when I talk to them, it's sweetness. Oh, you know, they're just always uplifting. They're, they're always encouraging. Oh, they're always funny. And we look at people, or they're always consistent. And we see different things that endear us toward people. Well, when you see God for who he is and know he's really for you, but he is super powerful, and you really see him unveiled that way, boy, that's where we want to be. We want our relationship to stem from things like that, not from like, am I doing all the rules? I mean, turn to Acts 9. Here's a guy who's super religious, killing Christians, throwing them in prison. Uh, he's just, religion can be hard. And this was one hard dude right here. And he could quote scriptures. And uh, here he is. He's on his way to uh, go throw more Christians in jail. Do you think somebody who really knew how big God was and really respected God and just in high regard would do certain things? No, I don't know about that. Notice this. Acts 9.1, then Saul, this is this guy Saul, still breathing out threats. Now, the Bible tells us in Timothy, if you look at some margin notes, he was a violently arrogant person. He said it of himself. He said he was breathing out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And, and, and it says he went to the high priests and asked for letters, you know, like uh, legal documents to do this from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, in other words, a Christian, somebody who believed in the Lord, whether men or women, he went 
to bring them bound to Jerusalem. This is his resume. This is what he does. As he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly a bright light shone round about him from heaven. Now, if you go back to the book we were reading in, in Exodus, where it talks about the thick cloud, the dark cloud, the lightnings, when that glory manifests, it talks about a bright light too. As a matter of fact, Moses' face shined like a bright light. Those are different manifestations of God's glory and power. And so here he is, no fear of God, and he's journeying just minding his own business. Psychology is not going to change this world. And you being clever or me being clever ain't going to change this world. And, and hopefully as a church in the church world, we recognize that ain't it. Well, if I can just learn more, I can be better. No, if we reverence God more and realize he's working with us and we recognize we labor with him, he can unveil his power, his reality, which will cause people to fear or come in reverence and awe of him. But if you think, well, if I just know all the right answers, you don't have to know many right answers. The right answer. You with me? Jesus. And so here's this guy going along. He's attacking the church. And it suddenly says, suddenly a bright light shone around about him from heaven. Later on, he calls it the glory. It's the same thing that the children of Israel saw that he said, I want you to fear me, therefore I'm showing you this so you might not sin or miss the mark. Well, then he fell to the ground and heard a voice. It's interesting, go back before. You'll see that God's voice spoke out of that cloud, out of that bright light, often. Even when Jesus was up on the mountain, this same cloud, this same, and he started becoming like a bright light. And then God spoke out of that. And it said, and then all the disciples fell on the ground as dead. And then Peter got up and said, let's build three temples. And the Bible tells us he said it because of fear. Because he didn't know what to say. You know, like I said last time in this, that some people, you know, act all tough. You know, I'd do this and I'd do this. If those people came, then they get in the situation and they're like, uh. There are some people who say, well, I'll tell you what, when I stand before God someday, I'm just going to say, God, I'm telling you what, I was good. You, you will not. You ain't going to be sitting there having some big discussion. You're going to pee your pants. Serious. You know, I told you guys that story of that guy I know who's a minister when he was on his third escape from prison and he was going down to Mexico to run, the Lord spoke to him in an audible voice in his truck and said, my spirit will not always strive with man. There's a trap set for you and the devil will kill you. He had known God when he was 13 years old and God had called him to the ministry. Now he's got a rap sheet a mile long. He said, when I heard that voice, I got so afraid. He said, I peed my pants. And he said, well, what do you want me to do, Lord? And there are some people just say, well, I tell you what, I'd just stand before. There's no fear of God before our eyes when we think I'd just go, whatever. No way. Now, here's the other side to that. 
once you're saved and you have such a respect and awe and you really look at what the Lord did, you can go, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go talk to God and he's going to answer me. Not based on me, but because Jesus has washed me and I have a right and he's for me, even though I get to come boldly to the throne of grace, you could add this glorious, powerful place. He'll respond. He's not against me and he wants to do things but we just still need to have a recognition of just who he is and how big he is. You guys with me? Notice this. It says, uh, then he fell to the ground in verse 4 of Acts 9 and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why? It's a good question for everybody. Why? Why are we doing what we're doing? Well, he had no fear of God. Why are you persecuting me? But he was persecuting the people, but the Lord took it personal. And he said, who are you, Lord? So he asked the first question, who are you? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And it's like a steel spike on a rod. Back then, they didn't have boots either. So you think of his sandal and kicking this thing that you would prod cattle. You know, when you have a fireplace, which we don't have a lot of, it'd be nice now if you had one, but a lot of people don't have them, or if they do, they have gas ones, but, you know, people who have fireplaces and have logs, they have a little pokey thing. You know what I'm talking about? The one the kids play with? And it has a little hook. It's that same looking thing, but bigger and heavier to poke cattle and pull them and to get him to move. And he says, it's hard for you to kick against that. He said, that's what it's like, Paul, when you're doing this. And it says, so he trembling and astonished. His attitude towards the Lord is changing. It says that he goes on to say, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, arise, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. But he did see him. This is, this is why the world needs us too. We have encounters with God. We recognize God. It can affect the people around us. And that's why we should bring people too. so that they can have their own personal encounter with God. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Verse 8, then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. He, he was blind. And it says, but they led him away by the hand, and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight. And neither did he eat or drink. This is a profound experience. And I've said this before. How many of you want to have a vision from the Lord? How many of you want to be blind for three days? Well, I don't know about that. I mean, serious? Blind for three days? That glory 
made him blind because it said when he opened his eyes. So his eyes were closed. He couldn't see anymore. Here are some things that happened in Paul's life from one day to the next. His selfish ambition disappeared once he had this awe, this fear of God. Totally changed. From this point forward, it was never about me and what I could do, what I can get, how I can live for myself. This experience made him go, whoa, this is Jesus. And the first thing he says in this experience is, I want to know you, you who I'm experiencing right now, who are you? He said, I'm Jesus, and you're not treating me right, because you're not treating my people right. Hallelujah. Then what happened? Then he said, what do you want me to do? He didn't say, boy, I would sure like to experience some more power. He didn't say that. He said, whoa, what do you want me to do? And what's so wild to me is for three days, he didn't go around going, come on, Lord, send somebody. It actually says the Lord spoke to him about many different things about his personal life. Because once his attitude changed and he said, what do you want me to do? You know what? The Lord started telling him what I want you to do. And then he said, oh, and I'm going to send this man Ananias, and he's going to come pray for you. And I don't know about you, but if you were blind from today till tomorrow, wouldn't you be thinking something better happen? Um, I can't see. And you had to get dragged to this city, so to speak, or led. Then the next day you still can't see? And you're depending on Pastor Linda to obey God. Are you trying to call her? Where are you at? Uh, I still can't see. Could you come? Because the Lord told him, I'm calling this man Ananias and he's going to come pray. You read Ananias after? He's like, Lord, I can't go pray for that person. God ever dealt with you? And he said, I can't do that. We all have. And went, but wait a minute. What are they going to think? They're like this. You know, Ananias had that exact experience. He said, he persecutes the church. He kills people. You want me to go pray for him? Yeah, I want you to go pray for him. That'd be Because he's a chosen vessel of mine. I want you to go get him filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, are you sure, Lord? Go read. See not, see, not all those Christians were as perfect as you thought. And he's having an experience where God's speaking to him. And he's like, this dude, Paul's a bad dude. Um, you really want me to go down there? And the Lord's like, yeah, you, you got to go. And Paul, from this time forward kept this hunger of wanting to know the Lord, even at the end of his life. The very last letters, one of them, he's in prison in Rome, and he said, not that I know him, but he said, I press on, I want to know him more. From this day forward, 
his ambitions changed. He's like, I got to know God more. And who got more revelation than anybody in the New Testament? Him. Then this whole thing about being selfish, he wasn't driven by self. He, he just said, okay, Lord, you said somebody's coming. He, it never says he asked him again. How many people after two days would be like, whoa. But once he got this fear and this holy awe in him or was exercising it, he was dependent on the Lord. Matter of fact, he was willing to give up all his life. And he just said, it'd be better to go be with him. He had already tasted. And he said, but I'm going to have to abide here in the flesh and help you guys. He lost his own ambition. He said, whatever's best for you, but I would like to do this. His selfish ambition was just annihilated when this fear came. Thank you. What's wild is, if we, we don't have time to go on to the rest, but we'll just probably, won't, we won't talk about that. There's another week, right? Well, let's just skip down to the 31st verse in that same chapter. After Paul starts preaching and he had been causing persecution, it's interesting, the churches had some rest. And, uh, but notice verse 31, it says, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord, who was walking in the fear of the Lord? All these people were walking reverently before God. And it says, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So you could tell this fear is not a paranoia fear. Because how could you be walking in a fear that makes you, uh, but be comforted? This fear he's talking about that they were all walking in was like, man, we're conscious of how big God is. They've been seeing him on display. They've seen buildings shake by this time. They've seen a fire come down and clouds rest on a group of people, that glory. They've seen cripples walk, all these different things. They hear these stories about a bright light appearing around their enemy who's persecuting them and radical conversion. They're seeing things that are developing or inspiring this fear. And so here they all are walking in this high regard toward the Lord. But it's interesting, these words, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. 